Amazingly, just two weeks before Christmas, and everybody's ready, right? I think you're more ready than the last service, and that wasn't very ready, so that's good. But if we're not ready, we are experiencing the joy of Christmas, right? All right, that's better. So that's more important, so that's good. And uh, as, uh, as Mike was saying, we do have the ba- ballots out there for you to grab. To, we'd like those back today. And then there's also, you've been gifted cards available. And some of you know what those are. Uh, some of us, as kind of a tradition at Grace, we use these, you've been gifted cards to bless somebody, usually anonymously, or uh, just kind of a random act of generosity, and include that card And it sort of just talks about the Christmas season and points them to grace and uh, just something to do. So if you haven't done that before, maybe that'll be a new uh, tradition for you. But it's just great because basically it's a time of year that we want to give. And I think the reason we want to give is because we're focused on what God has done for us. And in gratitude, it makes us want to spill out love for other people and we express that love uh, through gifts, and so that's kind of the whole tradition of Christmas and how that got going, but it's uh, just the joy of giving. And we're, we're actually starting a new series in Luke, and we're doing it for Christmas, but we will continue in Luke all the way through, uh, like we did John about a year ago, so we're going to go through the whole book. I, I hope that you enjoy doing that. We get to focus on this ancient document from the first century and that we can see the life of Christ uh, through the eyes of Luke. And as we get ready to do that, I know some of you are thinking, oh, we're going to do the Christmas story again. And you're thinking, hey, I got the Christmas story. I, I get it. I, I know it. You know, it's, it's Mary and Joseph. They have a baby. She's a virgin. They end up having to go to Bethlehem. There's no room for them there. They have to go to a stable. They have Jesus there. They lay him in a feeding trough, and then the angels appear to some nearby shepherds and tell them all about it, and so they come and check out Jesus, the Messiah that they've been waiting for, and then after some time passes later, the, the uh, Magi come, the wise men come from a foreign country from the east, and then they worship Jesus, bringing kingly and priestly gifts to him, and so we all kind of Get that, and you're thinking, yeah, I know the Christmas story, and I believe it. Well, that's great, and you should. But for some people, believing isn't as easy as it is for others. Some people, hey, they want to believe, they, they hear it, but they want evidence They want to know more details. They want to know, how do we know for sure? And think about it in the first century. As this message started spreading, people were hearing, hey, this guy who claimed to be God, he was actually the Messiah the Jewish people were waiting for. And after saying he was God, he was actually put to death by the Roman authorities. But then they say, three days later, he came back. He didn't stay dead And he taught all this stuff about God, and that message started spreading, and then people started hearing it, and they started kind of weighing it. 
but a lot of them wanted evidence. And one of those people was a wealthy, influential, respected man named Theophilus. And so Luke writes to Theophilus to fill in the gaps, to give the evidence, the details that he needs. And Luke is an interesting writer. He actually not only wrote Luke, but also a sequel, which is the book of Acts. So he wrote one of the Gospels, one of the life of Jesus. Four guys did that. Luke did that. But then Luke followed it up with, the, with actually the history, the early history of the church. So this is Luke. Luke is the only Gentile writer in the New Testament. All the other writers were Jewish. Luke was not Jewish. We know that he was a physician by trade. We also know that he was a companion with Paul in some of Paul's missionary journeys. And by all accounts, even non-Christians say, Luke was an incredible historian. He was a great writer because he included a lot of details. And some of the details we'll be talking about, most of the details we'll be talking about this morning, it's only Luke that tells us about them. And so I want to focus, we want to start in Luke chapter 1. And as we do that, Luke 1, 1, uh, we're going to discover some things that maybe we missed this Christmas time. So Luke chapter 1, beginning verse 1, Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile an account of the things accomplished among us, just as they were handed down to us by those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and servants of the word, it seemed fitting for me as well, having investigated everything carefully from the beginning, to write it out for you in consecutive order, most excellent Theophilus so that you may know the exact truth about the things you have been taught. And so he writes in detail, and details are important because it's details that will either prove something to be true or false. And so now Luke is writing this. This is how he opens it. But what I want us to see just in the first half of the first chapter of Luke which is kind of flyover country. I mean, it's, we don't usually focus on this because we're quick to get to Luke chapter two. That's where the main stuff about the birth narrative is. And so we fly over this kind of quickly, but I want to slow our roll and just look at this first half of Luke one. And when we do that, we're going to see details that we don't have anywhere else. And in those details, we're going to discover four truths that apply to us today as well as to the first century. So four timeless truths that these details will bring, and actually those truths bring joy to our hearts if we focus and reflect on them enough. And here's the first one. God works through history every single day for his purpose. God is working through history, and every single day God works for his purposes. And, and the reason I say that is because every day we see a world that sometimes seems out of control. And we see a lot of things happening that God wouldn't want to happen because there are things that are opposed to God, against God. But what we also know is because God is sovereign, that he works his purposes through 
human beings and through the world. And when bad things happen or even good, even the bad things don't derail what God is doing. They actually serve to advance what God is doing in the world. And so God works through history every day for his purpose. So now history as we know it is, to sum it up in a couple of sentences, is just that God created us in his image and he gave us freedom so that we could love him and follow him and want to be with him. But we all misused the freedom that we had and we chased our own things and did our own stuff rather than following God, which was always wrong, always sin. And the problem is the sin that we all have done brings consequences. And the consequences are spiritual death and separation from a holy and righteous God forever. But from the beginning, God promised that he would make a way, he would bring hope, and it would be through a person, a human being, if you will, that he would bring us hope through a person who would be born of woman, and that that hope would bring us an opportunity to be reconciled to our holy and righteous creator in spite of our sin. So that's kind of the history and the setup. He's promising this savior to bring hope and offer salvation, again, salvation from the right penalty from our sin. And through history, God repeatedly sent prophets, his messengers, to remind people of this promise because it was a long time in coming. So he kept telling people, it's on its way, it's coming, history's gonna unfold, this is gonna happen, God's timing is perfect, and it all happens. So I'll give you an example. In Isaiah chapter seven, verse 14, this is an Old Testament prophet. He's writing 750 years before Christ, and here's what he says. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Here's what to look for, he's saying. Behold, a virgin will be with child and bear a son, and she will call his name Emmanuel. God's saying, I'm going to send somebody to save you. Here's, a, here's one of the things you should look for. This person will be born from a virgin woman. That's the sign. It'll, his birth will be a miracle. It'll be a son, and he'll be called Emmanuel. And Emmanuel means God with us. Right, God with us. So it's like, whoa, that's pretty heavy stuff. And then later in Isaiah 9, 6, it says, For a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us, and the government will rest on his shoulders, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. Heavy-duty stuff. So this baby's going to be born of a woman, and he's going to be Eternal Father, Mighty God. He says... Messiah is coming, and, by the way, is coming again. So God works every day through history for his purposes, and that should bring us joy and peace. And when we see the world spinning out of control, what it seems to us, that should bring us peace. God's in control. God knows what's happening. God's working through history every day. But then secondly, God says that there's going to be another to pave the way for the Messiah, and how he gets here. And so, and what his ministry is all about is preparing the people to meet the Messiah, to prepare the people to meet 
their Savior. And it's the same way today. God prepares us to meet Jesus. And so that's that second truth. God prepares us to meet our Savior. Isaiah not only foretold the Messiah, but also this forerunner that would prepare the people. In Isaiah 40, verse 3, it says, A voice is calling. Clear the way for the Lord in the wilderness. Make smooth in the desert a highway for our God. So we keep getting this. Oh, there's, there's the Messiah, but somebody's coming before him. And then finally, the last prophet in the Old Testament named Malachi, he said, hey, a guy who's going to remind us of the prophet Elijah, he's going to show up and he's going to be the advance man of the Messiah. He's going to prepare people for the coming of the Messiah. And he says that in Malachi 3.1. Behold, I'm going to send my messenger and he will clear the way before me. This is God talking. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple and the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight, behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. So again, we see this promise of a forerunner an advanced man, repeated throughout Scripture. And it actually happened that in his first coming, somebody kind of like Elijah showed up just before Jesus, sort of announcing, getting people ready for the ministry of Jesus. And, by the way, side note, when Jesus comes the second time, his second coming, there will be two men, like Moses and Elijah, who will be preparing people for him to come, and that's all in prophecy that's yet to come. But here's how Malachi ends. Check it out. In Malachi verse four, five and six, toward the end of the book, it says, behold, I'm going to send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and terrible day of the Lord. He will restore the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers so that I will not come and smite the land with a curse. And so right after that, this last thing, hey, this guy like Elijah is going to come. He's coming right before the promised Messiah. Messiah is going to have the ability to allow us to have a way to be saved from our sins. And then he says all that. But before him, this guy comes and boom, silence for 400 years. The prophets don't say anything. God doesn't speak to the nation of Israel. We can have comfort and joy knowing that God works through history and also that he will prepare us to meet Jesus. And some of you might be being prepared to meet Jesus right now as you're sitting here today if you don't know him as your personal savior. And then the third thing is God remembers us. God uses people like us for his purposes. He remembers us and uses people like us. Obscure people. Like all of us, any of us can be used and are used for God's purposes right now, today. Well, here's how it happened back in the first century. The first person named in the whole story of Christmas when Luke presents it is a guy named Zacharias. Zacharias. Yeah, that's who he starts with. Check it out. Beginning, we left off in verse 4, now verse 5. In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zacharias of the division of Abaha. 
And he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. They were both righteous in the sight of God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and requirements of the Lord. But they had no child, because Elizabeth was barren, and they were both advanced in years. And now it happened that while he was performing his priestly service before God in the appointed order of his division, according to the custom of the priestly office, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. So Zacharias is a priest. There's like 20,000 priests at this time in Israel. They serve in the temple every day but there's so many priests that any one priest only serves at the temple two weeks a year, and they just rotate. Of the, all the priests that are serving during the week, then a few of them are picked to light the daily incense. But most priests never got picked for that. Most priests did not ever experience that. So here you have Zacharias. He's an older guy, childless, he's doing his priestly service, and bam, he hits the lottery. He's the one that's picked. He's the guy that's chosen by lot to go in and to light the incense. This is like the second most important job a priest could do. The only job more important than this would be the, the job of where the high priest one day a year would go into the inner sanctum, the holy of holies inside the temple, and present offering to God. So he would do that. That's just one day a year. But this, what Zacharias was picked for, is right up next to the curtain that divided the holy of holies. He's right there at the curtain, and he's lighting incense. And he's the one that's chosen to do it. It's kind of interesting as we hear how Zacharias' life plays out, that his name means Yahweh remembers again, or Yahweh has remembered again. That's what his name means in Hebrew. And so they cast lots, they get into that, and uh, he's chosen, it's the biggest day of his life. Next verse, 10. And the whole multitude of people were in prayer outside at the hour of the incense offering. And so he's lighting the incense. Well, people knew that was happening at a certain time of day. This is probably in the late afternoon. And there's all these people at the temple and they're praying. And they're praying and they're watching the temple and they're kind of watching for the, for the smoke to come up out of the temple signifying the lighting of the incense. And, and they're all praying. And we might wonder what they're praying about. Well, probably most of them were praying about the Messiah because at this time in history in Israel, the messianic expectations are running at a fervent high. And why is that? The why is because about 450 years prior, Daniel the prophet predicted when the Messiah would come. And he said you can count the years from when, and this is when they're in exile in Babylon. We talked a little bit about that in our series before. When they're in exile, when we were talking about Ezekiel, he says, Daniel will say, he says, when we can go back to the land, because they're only going to be in exile 70 years. Jeremiah prophesied that. When we are told we can go back to the land and rebuild the temple that had been destroyed by Nebuchadnezzar, first temple, 
when the decree goes out that we can rebuild the temple, from that day, 483 years, the Messiah will be here to take his throne. So people are doing the math. Okay, 483 years, it's been 450 years. We're 33 years away but they understood that the Messiah would be an adult and they considered, for example, a priest was an adult where he could do ministry at age 30. So they're doing the math and they're going, okay, he's gotta be at least age 30 when he shows up in, in 483 years. It's been 450 years. We're right there. Anytime now the Messiah should be born. They know that and they're waiting. And so they're praying about the Messiah while he's in there lighting the incense. Now back Back to what's happening in the temple. So Zechariah's inside. Verse 11. And an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing to the right of the altar of incense. And Zacharias was troubled when he saw the angel, and fear gripped him. By the way, this happens every time people see angels in the Bible. Totally unlike how our culture depicts angels, right? Every time somebody sees an angel in the Bible, they see strength, majesty, power. They freak out. They faint most of the time. You know, they're just there. That's how they do it. And then the angel always says, don't be afraid. Hang on. Don't be afraid. Angels were never effeminate, weak pudgy little babies with diapers and bows. You know, that's not what an angel is. And by the way, your grandma's not an angel either. Angels aren't human beings. Angels aren't like little kids. Angels are not human. You know, they're not gentle and cute. I don't know where we got that from. But anyway, not true. Verse 13. But the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zacharias. For your petition has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you will give him the name John. It's the ultimate gender reveal. Boom! Son. Back when there were only two genders, it was easy. Boom! Son. And then talk about Zacharias. He's not, he's, he's like, oh, it's a boy. I didn't even know we were going to have a baby. You know, it's huge for him. Drops the bomb. He catches it. You're going to, wow. And we realize that as a couple, because she was barren, they had been praying for a child probably at this point for decades. No answer. You know, and, and that's, I don't know how that was impacting them. You know, maybe they gave up at that point and they realized, well, now we're too old. This, the ship has sailed Forget it, we're not praying that anymore, even though we've been praying that for decades, no longer. It's kind of what we do, you know, we pray for something and we'll think, yeah, this is right with God. I think God would want this. We pray and pray. We don't get an immediate answer. You're like, where's God? Where's God at? For these people, decades. And then God answers their prayer because God's timing is what's best for his people. And God's answers are what's best for his people. And sometimes those answers are no, wait, or yes. So God answers their prayer, but also God answers a bigger prayer, the prayer of the entire nation, the other prayer that no doubt Zacharias and Elizabeth were were praying about, which was the Messiah. 
for God to send the Messiah. So Zach and Elizabeth, they're going to have a son. Name him John. We call him John the Baptist. Right. Continuing verse 14. Here's, this is the angel still talking here. He says, You will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord, and he will drink no wine or liquor. And he will be filled with the Holy Spirit while yet in his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the sons of Israel back to the Lord their God. It is he who will go as a forerunner before him. And the him is Messiah. In the spirit and power of Elijah. So turn the hearts of the fathers. He's doing this. To turn the hearts of the fathers back to the children and the disobedient to the attitude of the righteous, so as to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. So this all plays out. He's in the temple. He's there to light the incense. An angel shows up, freaks him out. He's scared out of his wits. And, and this angel says to him, God's going to give you a son. Name him John. And God's going to use him to turn our nation back to, to God. God's going to fill him with the Holy Spirit and use him to turn many people back to the Lord their God. And so Luke then records these words because it actually ties Jesus' birth and John's birth back to the Old Testament. And why do that? Because as we look at these details, we realize the Old Testament, every book, and the New Testament, every book, it's all part of one epic story that's all connected together. It all fits together. And Luke's recording that for us. But I want you to notice something. As God is orchestrating this epic story through history, this epic plan to redeem sinful people from their sin and make it possible for us to be saved. While he's doing all that and while he's making that happen and the forerunner for the Messiah is being announced during all this, God remembers his people. God remembers individuals. He remembers the simple prayer of one faithful couple and answers their simple prayer. They just want a child. Answers it in a way where their child is a key part of God's plan to redeem the world. So God remembers and uses people like us. God remembers and uses people like us while He's working his purposes through every day in history. But God requires us to respond. And he wants us to respond with faith and trust rather than doubt. And why would God require us to respond? Because God does not force us into relationship with him. He invites he calls, he woos, he asks. 
but he doesn't violate our integrity. He doesn't violate our free will. He enables us to see the truth and respond. So these two prayers are being answered here at the same time. One huge, big picture, epic prayer that for the entire nation is praying that Messiah would come. And now it's saying he's coming. But first John. But then personally, Zach and Elizabeth have been praying for a baby. And notice, as this all comes to be, Zach's not focused on the big epic prayer that he and his nation have been praying for. Zach's focus is on the personal prayer of he and his wife. And here's what we see in the next, next verse 18. Zechariah said to the angel, How will I know this for certain? Oh, what's he talking about? He's talking about John. For I am an old man, and my wife is advanced in years. That's what he says. He's been married for a while. So he's saying, how will I know for certain? And we could all figure this out. Boy, how would you know for certain, Gabriel? How about the flaming angel that's standing two feet from you in the temple that you're having a conversation with. Would that work? He's like, well, how can this happen? How could it be? And then, so the angel answers in verse 19. And the angel answered him and said, I am Gabriel, who stands in the presence of God, and I have been sent to speak to you to bring you this good news. Now, when he says, I'm Gabriel, the angel, Zacharias has heard of Gabriel before. Gabriel is the name of the angel that was communicating with Daniel when Daniel was having his visions about when the Messiah would come. So Zacharias studied Daniel. He's, he's a priest. He studied the Old Testament. So when he says he's Daniel, right away, he says he's Gabriel, right away, Zacharias is saying, oh, you're the angel that was telling Daniel about when the Messiah would be coming. Boom, it all comes together. He's saying your wife will give birth to Messiah's advanced man. But Zacharias, his response, he lived a righteous life, but he's not perfect, and his response brings consequences. We see those next in verse 20. Gabriel continues to say, And behold, you shall be silent and unable to speak until the day when these things take place, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their proper time. So he's, all of a sudden now, he's become mute, Zacharias. In the meantime, there's all the people outside, and they're waiting for the priest to come back. They're waiting for Zacharias to pop back out. I mean, this is his one shot. Once you do this once, you never do it again. It's his highest honor. They're waiting for him to come out, but he's not coming out. And they wait and wait. And then finally, when Zacharias comes out, they could tell something's happened in there because he's gesturing and he's trying to talk. He can't speak. They realize he must have seen a vision or something, but he can't tell them what it is. He finally comes out and he can't talk. Verse 21. The people were waiting for Zacharias and were wondering at his delay in the temple. But when he came out, he was unable to speak to them. And they realized that he had seen a vision in the temple. And he kept making signs to them. And he remained mute. 
When the days of his priestly service were ended, he went back home. And after these days, Elizabeth, his wife, became pregnant. And she kept herself in seclusion for five months. Kept herself, she's pregnant. You know, and she's just stunned. She's beyond childbearing years. She's pregnant. So the next time she shows up at her sewing circle or whatever, she's like, hey, by the way, ladies, I'm pregnant. And they're like, what? What? You know, and then all the guys are fist bumping Zacharias. Zacharias! You pulled that off. Wow! You know, because they always give the credit to the guy. Zacharias! Good job. She's in seclusion for five months. Text continues saying, this is the way the Lord has dealt with me in the days when he looked with favor upon me to take away my disgrace among men. You see, for Elizabeth, her prayer was just simple. Back in those days, having children were important and not able to have a children, being not able to have a child, was sort of like seen almost like a curse from God. It was, you know, just bad. It was like, oh, you must have done something wrong. Not only that, Half the people believed that that was grounds for divorce. Oh, you can't bear us a child? I divorce you. You know, moving on. Kind of a deal. And here God takes care of that. And it's just the details of this are interesting. Think about it. God hasn't spoken for 400 years. And then when God sends his messenger Gabriel to finally speak... He speaks to a man who can't talk for nine months. I mean, people are still waiting. What What happened? What's going on in there? He doesn't know. You know, he can't say it. He knows. He can't communicate it. Of course, nine months later, John the Baptist is born. And when he grew up, before the ministry of Christ, his ministry started. And he confronted the people of Israel and he told them, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent, he's saying, for the kingdom of heaven is here. He's saying, Messiah is here. Buckle up, get ready, get your hearts right. The time is up, our waiting is over. He is here. And that's where we'll pick it up next Sunday. But before we get there, Here's what I want you to remember. Here's what I want you to focus on, because each of these truths actually bring joy to our heart. Christmas joy. It's in the details. First of all, that no matter what's going on in this world, God ultimately is in control, even though we don't understand it and we can't figure out. God is in control, and he is working every single day to accomplish his purposes. And his purposes is that we would know him. And so that's the second thing. God prepares us to meet Jesus, our Savior. So we all have stories where God worked through our lives and worked through whatever happened, whatever events, maybe our family, our friends, people we knew from the job, whatever, where we ended up finding out about Jesus and God drew us to him and we responded. He prepared our hearts. Sometimes it was because of a tragedy in our life that God used to save us for eternity. God prepares our hearts to meet him. 
And then while he's working, his epic plan every day through history, God remembers you. God knows you. God remembers you. And God uses you, 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 to accomplish his purposes. You have meaning and purpose in life. He uses people just like us. And then last, God requires a response. He doesn't violate our dignity. He doesn't force us into a relationship we don't want. He invites. He asks. He pulls. He draws. And he waits for our response. And we'll pick it up from there next week. Let's stand for prayer. Father God, we thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your word. We thank you for Luke, who faithfully recorded all these things from eyewitness accounts led by your spirit so we could know truth. And God, we pray that as we learn this truth that would sink deep into our hearts and those of us who are believers, we would be encouraged and joyful and we would be determined to be used by you. And Father, for our friends and our neighbors and family members and people who happen to be with us and they don't have a relationship with you because they've put all their trust in Jesus. Lord, we ask that you would draw them and help them to see so that they could respond to you this Christmas time, today or over the next couple of weeks, that they would understand exactly who you are, what you've done for us through the course of all history to save us from the right consequences of our sin. God, thank you for your goodness. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.